Well, our speaker this morning is Schumit. Schumit um, comes from University Covenant Church in Davis, where he's an associate pastor for adult ministries. He's also a therapist in training right now. And Schumit's got an interesting story because he's the one that really connected us to Dan Seitz. Um, Schumit saw Dan and said, this guy would be a good fit for the covenant and kind of mentioned that to Dan, then saw that we were searching, mentioned it to our conference superintendent, kind of put two and two together, and Dan starts tomorrow. So we owe Schumit a, a, a debt of uh, gratitude for that, and we look forward, Schumit, to having you preach with us in a few minutes. Good morning. Yeah, I'm Dan's friend, been a friend of Dan for six years, and you owe me a debt of gratitude and a fat check. Where's my finder's fee? It's so good to be here. One of the things I have been dealing with this past year is how our world has changed and impacted how we do church. And impacted Christian relationships. It's been a burden for me uh, because I believe in the church. I believe in Christian brothers and sisters. I believe that God created church to be a family and it's the only hope of the world. And how the Politics, uh, political engagement, social engagement impacted our relationships. If you have been on Facebook, you see people posting comments like, how can you be a Christian and follow so-and-so? And I have heard stories from the Midwest. Uh, by the way, I lived in the Midwest for 22 years, pastored there, and I... Recently was talking to a friend from a previous church I pastored and he said, you know, so-and-so left the church and so-and-so said, you know, we have very little common with this church and they have been with this church for over 10 years. So I started thinking and I was reflecting on the scripture that all throughout the New Testament, whether Paul, Peter or anyone that you hear from in the New Testament, they focused on the church relationship. Yes, they talked about ministering to the people outside, but there's this predominant uh, theme all throughout the New Testament about loving one another within the church. And that's what we are going to talk about, our identity as God's children and how that impacts our relationship with the outside world as well as with each other. If you look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter is a letter that was written to a, a persecuted Christian community. Uh, they were being persecuted not by the government, by their local people, because of the change of lifestyle they embraced. They didn't have a thing called a separation of religion and the state, where the first Christians uh, 
were raised. Uh, it was a society infused with uh, religious uh, rituals, idol worships, everything. They worshipped the emperor. They had an emperor cult. Emperor Augustus was uh, uh, proclaimed as a deity. And in that culture, worshipping the emperor was a symbol of patriotism. And when these Christians started saying, hey, we worship just Jesus, who is the Lord, and not Caesar, they were regarded as unpatriotic. They were regarded as not loving Rome well, even though they were upstanding citizens. They were regarded as haters of family. Because they did not engage in the worship of idols that were available in uh, family functions, family get-togethers. They were regarded as bad businessmen and women, as unprofessional because the businesses, they had uh, guilds, business guilds, and they would uh, meet in temples. Religion was a big part of uh, doing business in that culture. And these Christians would not participate in a guild because of their association, because of a guild's association with a particular god or goddesses. So they were regarded as unprofessional. As a result, there was tremendous persecution. Friends and family uh, separated themselves from these Christians they were ostracized. There was mob violence. There was discrimination. And some of these Christians were wondering whether it's worth it. It feels so good to be accepted, doesn't it? It feels so good to be connected with your friends and family. And I bet those Christians sitting around thinking, is this really worth it? Following this uh, person named Christ. Wouldn't it be better if we go back to our friends and family. Those good old days. After all nostalgia can be a tremendous strong sentiment. And they were wondering if it's worth engaging in relationship within the church with a, a hodgepodge group of people from different aspects of life, different walks of life, different ethnicity, different classes. After all, those pagan friends we used to go fishing and hunting with are so dear to us. We have more connection with them. Can we just stay with this group of people in the church with whom we have very little collective memory. Is Jesus enough? And this is what Peter writes to them. He says in chapter 1 verse 17, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Then he goes on to say in verses 18 and 19, 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these times for your sake. What Peter is saying, this is your primary identity. He says, since you call on a father, that is God is your father. What Peter is saying, Christian lives begins uh, from this foundation of grace. He doesn't say, if you do this and that, that you can call God your father. He says, you call God your father. And since you call God your father, this is how you should behave. That is the foundation of Christian identity that we are children of God. That God has reconciled us to himself to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we have been adopted into God's family. And Peter goes on to say this is how you should approach God. He says, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. As father in that Middle Eastern culture demanded that reverent fear, that's what God demands from us. I know as a therapist, fear is treated in our culture as a negative emotions. I work with people with various phobias, social phobias, fear of death. I have a fear of height. I can drive for hours in Iowa, no problem. But going to Tahoe, my wife drives. Fear can hinder our lifestyle. Fear can impact how we live. But fear is also not always bad. Especially when you see some pictures of some young person fell off the cliff taking a selfie. And you go, that was really dumb. There's appropriate fear that is needed to live life responsibly. And that's what Peter is talking about. Peter, Peter is not talking about neurotic fear that God will send me to hell, but reverent fear. Fear in the Bible meant fear, dad is coming home, I messed up, he's going to kill me fear, right? That's the kind of fear I had in India. Not that my dad will kick me out, but that he's about to kill me. And in India, the way the father treats you is kind of illegal here. And we don't want to get into that. But that's the fear. But there was another kind of fear that we had that was respectful fear. You fear your father figure uh, uh, with respect, a reverential fear, an awestruck fear. My dad is the superman. He can do anything kind of fear. 
And that's the fear Peter is talking about. A reverential fear, a respectful fear, and yes, a no-nonsense fear. Because this is what Peter says. This father, he is an impartial judge who judges each man's work impartially. What that means is just because we are children of God, we do not get a free pass. You see, David in the Bible, he was the man after God's own heart. But when he messed up, he had to face earthly consequences. He didn't lose his salvation. He was still a man after God's own heart, but he had earthly consequences to deal with. That's the kind of fear Peter is talking about. Why is that fear needed? Because that fear can motivate us. That respect for God the Father can motivate us to live our life in a way that honors him. And when we know, when we are grounded in that identity that I belong to God's family, that God is my father, it changes how we relate to the society and relate to our brothers and sisters in the church. This is what Peter says. In relation to the society, he writes this. Since you call God... Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your life as strangers. As strangers here in reverent fear, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Handed down, to you from your forefathers. You know, it took me many years to get my citizenship in this country. Finally. You know, I was an American citizen and I was so proud. I would run around. I would meet my Indian brothers and sisters. They had green card. I had citizenship. So proud. I love my country. But when I read this, I hear Peter saying, now that you belong to God's family, you got to approach your tradition, your American tradition, your Indian tradition as foreigners. See, this text is taken. It has imageries from the Exodus narrative where uh, Israel lived in Egypt as foreigners, even though they have been there for 400 years. Don't you think after 400 years they should be regarded as natural-born citizens of uh, uh, Egypt? But no, the Egyptians looked upon them as foreigners. They never quite belonged to Egypt. And Peter is saying to these people who most likely have lived in the Roman society for years, for generations, that now you have to relate to your society as foreigners. That's kind of radical. That's life-changing. When I grew up in India, I had a lot of uh, family members who were really uh, anti-Islam because I grew up in a Hindu family. 
And few of my family members would say, this was part of my family tradition, that you cannot eat food cooked by someone who is from an Islamic background. Guess why? Because Islamic people eat beef. Hindus worship cow. Can't have a tri-tip if you're a Hindu. That's why I became a Christian. <laughs> tri-tip. And that's why they said the Hindu tradition forbids you to eat food cooked by Islamic people because then you will become unclean. And now that I belong to God's family, now that I'm a child of God, now I look at my tradition with eyes of a foreigner and I go, that is wrong. Because the culture I come from, God's family culture, I view things from God's point of view and I see Islamic people created in the image of God worthy of love and respect. That's what Peter is talking about. He's not saying don't enjoy your cultural heritage. You know, if you're a Swede, go ahead, eat your little fisk. <laughs> Lather it up with butter. I like my curry chicken still. But what Peter is saying, look at your culture. Look at your society that you're so familiar with. And being able to say, you know what? This is not right. I know this has been handed down from one generation to another. But still then, this is not right. Because now as God's child, I can look at this cultural heritage and I can say, this is not right. No child is ever born racist. Racism sometimes is a family tradition that has been passed on from one generation to another. And we can, as Americans, look at that tradition and go, hey, that is not right. Because now we are outside of that tradition in a way, now that we come to belong to the family of God, we have become foreigners in our own culture. That's radical. That's radical. That now we view everything that we have in our society as foreigners. So now that we are alien to our own natural, social, cultural, familial context, how should we, uh, how should we deal with fellow Christian brothers and sisters in the church? And Peter's answer is, now they are your forever and real family. Now you have a real problem. You have Daniel Seitz and you have Daniel Sissi. How are you going to call them? Have you figured that out? That's an important problem. Dan, Daniel, but you know what these two people have? One black, one white. The blood of Jesus is thicker. 
They're both brothers, forever brothers in Christ. That's how church is created to be. Remember when Jesus was crucified? One of the last statements from the cross was he looked at his mother Mary and looked at John and looked at Mary and said, Hey, woman, this is your son. And John, this is your mother. What was uh, Jesus doing? Yeah, he was providing for his mother, but he was doing way more than that. He was creating the nucleus of a family called the church. The language that Jesus was using in that culture was used for adoption. When Jesus said to John, behold your mom, and to Mary, behold your son, adoptive language. What Jesus was saying, now that you have relationship with me, Mary and John, now you have become family members. Now you are mother and son because just because you're related to me. That's how God created the family. And here, here's what Peter says to this church that's thinking about their natural born family that should we go back to our society, to our pagan friends, to our pagan family. This is what Peter writes. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God, for all men or all people are like grass and all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Peter is saying now that you have become children of God and you have this reverential fear for God. Not only do you see your cultural context, your society as foreigners, but you need to relate to your church very differently. He doesn't say to this group of people, go do social justice, go do mission, go do this outside. Those are all good things and we should all pursue those things. But the first responsibility starts from within. It's good. I have seen in my pastoral ministry in the church two women, when they are serving uh, outside people, we had a soup kitchen. They were most wonderful, loving people when they were dealing with outsiders. But these two women put them in the kitchen, all hell broke loose. Because they could not get along with each other. And this is where we need to practice our Christian spirituality. When Jesus says, if someone insults you, smacks you on one side of the face, turn the other. Also, what he's saying, don't wait for outsiders to do it. But 
practice that spirituality in the context of the church. There's no growth as a Christian unless you are within the church learning to love one another, learning to love people from who come from different aspects of life, different walks of life, different ethnicity, different race. This is where it all begins because otherwise everything is fake. One of the biggest lie that the devil has fed the American church Christians is that you can be a solo Christian. Nothing more unbiblical than that. Just think about this. When Paul was going around persecuting the church, Jesus appeared to him and said, why are you persecuting me? To go against the church meant to go against Jesus because the church is the body of Christ. It all begins here and that's why Peter says, love one another. Love one another. Love your brothers and sisters from, deeply from your heart. That's where it all begins. Do not just crave for social engagement because you have so much common with friends and families outside. That you get drawn to their outside views and political ideologies or social views. And you bring it to the church and you start acting differently within the context of the church. As if your brothers and sisters in the church do not matter. But what Peter is saying, now that you're children of God, you have a new family. He uses the words perishable and imperishable. He says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed. What is he talking about? Perishable seed is another way of talking about being born in a natural human family. What he's saying, the perishable seed, no matter how good it is, no matter how valuable it is, it's not going to last forever. That's why Peter goes on to quote Isaiah chapter 40 verses 6 to 8. He says, all men are like grass. All people are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. That we are all, our all human traditions, are all human achievement. They might be like beautiful flowers. You might be a Nobel laureate. You might have a PhD. You might be the best, best baseball player. You might be all that in the society. But at the end of the day, those blooming flowers that you look at go, ooh, ah, so beautiful, will wither with time. But what Peter is saying, the imperishable Word of God, that is the gospel, when enters into perishable humans, makes them a member of an imperishable family called the church, and they have an imperishable uh, inheritance in heaven. What Peter is saying, Christians, this is your forever family. This is how we are to relate to each other. 
and live as Christians in our social cultural context. Who are you? Who am I? Am I just a brown man? Am I an Indian? Am I just a person who has this political affiliation? No, all those things God has redeemed me from. That's what Peter says, that Jesus Christ, his precious blood, redeemed you, freed you, set you free from bondage to human traditions. So you can live into God's tradition. You can live into God's culture. And you can love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They might be different politically. They might be different culturally. But guess what? They are now your forever family. I have a friend, his name is Tom Wendell. He is a member of UCC, he drives me nuts. On Facebook, I see him post stuff, gives me heartburn. He sees my post, I give him heartburn. We are responsible for exchanging Prilosec with each other. Politically different, <coughs> socially different, but he is my best friend. Last December, when we were going through this political upheaval, we got into a big argument. Our voices started uh, rising, but suddenly the Holy Spirit stepped in. And I looked at Tom, and I said, Tom, if today your wife, Kim, becomes sick, who's going to come stand by you? Is it going to be those politicians from D.C.? He goes, no, pastor, you will. I said, today, if my wife Jody gets sick, who's going to come stand next to me? Tom says, I will. And I looked at Tom, and I said, at the end of the day, nothing else matters. Because we are God's family. You and I, in spite of our differences, are forever brothers. Let's pray. Father God, I pray over this church. They're going to get a new pastor named Dan Seitz. He's a man of God, but like any of us, he will have his own struggle. But in spite of all the highs and lows that this church might go through, May each individual in this church realize that the blood of Jesus is thicker than anything. And may they commit themselves, each one commit him or herself to staying in this church, committed to loving each other and growing together so your name is glorified in all the world. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Receive benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.